Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to Context. We are joined today by Perry Huang, two-time WNBA champion, current assistant coach with the Erie Bay G League team, which is affiliated with the New Orleans Pelicans. Coach, thanks for taking the time out of your day to sit with us and share your knowledge. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Really looking forward to this. So if you don't mind, Coach, can you take us through your background as a coach? What has your journey been like? How did you end up coaching and what led you to your current situation, having two different jobs, 
being on a WNBA championship team and how did you get there? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I've had a lot of time to reflect. People have asked me that the last couple of weeks. And so it's a good thing that I've come to you. I'm kind of a vet with the, the knowledge about that and self-reflecting. So I guess I would start by saying I wasn't very self-aware when I was younger. In retrospect, if I looked at college, I should have known I was going to go the coaching route because during practice, when the coaches are going through scouts or we're walking through plays or watching film, I would always kind of critique in my head. I didn't have the cojones to speak up and say, why are we guarding it this way? But I would always think about that and always be thinking in my head, like, how should we guard this? Or if there's another way to guard this or just crazy things like that. I even had one point where multiple people told me uh, I did a great job was we played Fresno State every year. I went to Fresno Pacific University at that time was NAIA. And we usually play Fresno State every year. And so uh, I had gone to their game before us and just watched them. And then I stepped into our coach's office the day after. And I just gave a rundown. This is what I saw. And he was like, oh, wow, that was pretty thorough. Did you mean to do that? And I was, I was like, no, I was just, this is what I saw. He surprised me at the game and at tip off. He was like, hey, would you mind just rolling through the personnel and just giving the scout each one? And then I went up there and just ran down everything. And you would expect a 22-year-old kind of senior just being stumbling through everything, not doing it for the first time, but I guess like I did it. I don't remember it all. I just remember that like everyone was like, hey, that was a great job. It sounded better than the coaches kind of thing, which probably I didn't, but they're just making me feel good. But I should have taken those notes, should have understood that, oh, this might be a, a route for me. But I ended up graduating with a business degree and tried to become an accountant. And you would find yourself studying for a CPA exam or doing some certain accounting job. And then you migrate towards YouTube and you start typing in basketball highlights or Michael Jordan, like how to do a crossover or whatever, just something weird that day. So like it ended up being like, all right, now it's two hours spent there. Now it's three hours spent there. Now it's four or five. Like now it's like more hours every single day. Now you start to have to be self-aware, like I said, and realize, Hey, maybe this isn't quite the route. And so another outlet that I started taking was to start coaching and just to stay around it. And I started coaching at Carmel high school, their freshman team. And I started doing that. And I started doing camps, youth camps in the summertime. And then uh, next year I went to Gonzalez High School, which was a JV team there. And then my head coach in college, he got the job at Cal State San Marcos. And so he hit me up and it was like, hey, I heard that you're getting into coaching. You want to jump on? And I was like, hey, shoot. It's like, it's not going to pay anything. You'll get a ton, ton of experience. So I was like, hey, shoot, I'm 25 at that time, 24 probably. And I was like, hey, this is go out there in San Diego and have some fun out there. And I learned a lot and gained some experience there and then had some family issues. So I had to move back home and, and I contacted the Monterey Peninsula College, Blake Spearing there and just say, hey, this is my thing. I'm trying to get into coaching and this is my experience so far. And he was gracious enough just to bring me on. He knew who I was just because I was from the area, but gained a lot of experience there for three years. And then I think around the end of my second or heading into my third year, I think the Warriors had put a G League team in Santa Cruz. And at that time, I loved the X's and O's part, but I couldn't really pinpoint what I really loved about coaching. I just think I just loved to be around basketball more than anything. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the other things was just a thirst for knowledge to the next level. Like, how can I gets the next level. Can I have this ever expanding brain of things? I can just open shelves and drawers and just pull out things and stuff like that. I didn't have a ton of recruiting experience. And so not a lot of connections, obviously. And so I figured, you know what, I can figure out video, how to break down film. And I went to Stanford that year to do one of their camps and their video coordinator and the director of ops kind of brought me in and just taught me some stuff there. And I 
learned a little bit of it and transitioning back to the Santa Cruz thing is I did a camp with the Warriors at the facility and their head coach was there, Casey Hill at the time. And I sat down with him and I just asked him, Hey, look, I just want some experience. Uh, I'm not really looking for a job like long-term, but if you could just allow me just to be a fly on the wall, basically, that'd be great. And so he was gracious enough to do that. And that was the, probably the craziest year, my third year at NPC and splitting with the Santa Cruz Warriors. I worked a third job too. So I was waking up at 4 a.m., going to work until 11, then going to practice, doing a bunch of recruiting calls. And I'd drive to Santa Cruz either for a game or practice and not getting home till like midnight every night and waking up again, doing the same thing for about a year. But I grinded and slowly but surely during over the course of that season, when I was working with Santa Cruz, like the coaches started bringing me in and noticed my work. And they're just like, Hey man, have you ever thought about like the NBA? Have you thought about pros? And I was like, I don't know, to be honest, man, I'm just grateful to be here. And i still have that same kind of attitude. So they brought me in and started having me do some scouts and asking me for input. And then that summer they actually offered me a coaching associate spot, which basically means that you're too young to be an assistant coach. You do, you have enough experience, but we can't just give it to you because you don't really have an experience. I got thrown into this kind of intern slash assistant coach slash director of ops role. And I, like I was sitting on the front of the bench the first game my eyes were open. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I think we were playing the defenders. And I just remember a bunch of people that I was like, oh my God, I just watched him on TV last year. Oh my God, like this guy was a draft pick two years ago. I was just sitting there, I was like, this is amazing. But that year was a whirlwind and learned a lot, learned about the business. And I just took it all in and ended up not able to get anything the next year around. So I had to scramble and figure out ways to stay relevant in the business. And I ended up going to some of these free agency camps. People don't know there's like these camps and during the NBA Summer League around July where like these outside agencies will hold these camps for aspiring either players or current players. And they're just basically playing not only in front of G League or NBA scouts, but they're also playing in front of European or Asian Australian scouts and stuff like that. So got a chance to work those camps and met a couple coaches and they ended up giving me a couple jobs just remotely. I didn't actually end up going anywhere, which bummer. I would have loved to go overseas and experience that. But nonetheless, like I did that for a whole year and then I've been applying to jobs everywhere and there. And then I heard like the Seattle storm and hired Dan Hughes. And I knew that one of my agent connections had a little in there. So I got a connection there. I got an introduction. And two weeks later, I was in the building in Seattle and this was crazy. What was most amazing, that was probably my introduction to even another level of uh, high level basketball. We did USA basketball did a camp that year before our season in Seattle and walking in for WMA fans or women's basketball fans with Cheryl Reeves, Don Staley, so obviously Subers walking in the building, Brianna Stewart's walking in, Skylar Diggins, Maya Moore, like just on and on. I'm just like in awe. Wow. I can't believe I'm here right now. So that season was again a blur. It's crazy to think back and we started off not even thinking we were going to be championship contenders and we ended up winning the championship in 2018. After that year, I got a job with the Phoenix Suns G League team as an assistant coach, and which was based uh, in Prescott Valley, Northern Arizona Suns. So I had to jump from there to there, worked there for another seven months, came back to the storm. Then I got another job with the Erie Bayhawks, uh, which is the New Orleans, Orleans Pelicans G League team as an assistant coach there. And then that was where I spent this past year and season got cut short. And as everybody knows, there's this big thing that's going on. It's called the pandemic with COVID-19. So that definitely hurt a little bit and got lucky with the storm and the WNBA figuring out ways to implement the bubble, just like the NBA and got called into action and two months of 
craziness and wildness and once in a lifetime experience and ended up with the championships. That's the nutshell of it all. That is so fascinating. And as a lay person who has no idea of the inner workings of professional sports to hear that you are jumping back and forth between two different organizations that are partner organizations or sister organizations, but run differently. And even landing there was a result of luck in regards to being prepared and at the right spot at the right time and navigating network connections that you built by working 20 hour days to make that a reality is the lesson that I think people can take away. It's like, I didn't plan to get into this, but through determination and resilience and just showing up every day and being around, I was ready when the opportunity presented itself. And so such a fascinating journey pair. I appreciate you sharing that with us. This question might not even be relevant, but I'm going to ask it because you have so many different landing spots. But what did you realize as you're sitting there on the court watching these draft picks go by, watching Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart walk in the building as you're now coaching? What did you realize that you still needed to figure out? For me, my self-reflection is that I still need to be a better relationship person. And coaching is 1,000% about relationships, and I know that. And I'm not saying I'm a guy that's like everyone hates to be around and stuff like that. It's just... I've been around such high-level individuals now, just to name a few, like Casey Hill, who I said was a Santa Cruz Warriors. He's a very high-level, connective, empathetic person in terms of coaching, players coach, as people would say. Got a chance to see Alvin Gentry. Got a chance to see, even this past year, like Dan Hughes, obviously, like just watching them. And then even watching this, the support staff, the way that other assistants are able to connect with players. And I have my own way of connecting, but I definitely know that's one area that I need to be better at because it's just a certain trust level that players have to have with you in order to execute what you want them to do. I think for me in general, I need to sometimes take a step back. Cause like I said, I'm such a basketball heavy minded guy as that even in the off season right now, like I'm really fighting hard to not watch film. I'm fighting hard to not write something up because I need that. And my girlfriend, she's told me this several times you just need to get away from basketball like as much as you think you don't as much as you think you are a basketball like nerd or whatever like you do need that time and I think that's something that I need to learn is to just take a step back and sometimes you're always hungry for the chase like you were saying before like you're always determined to do certain things and you're always thinking if I slip up now someone's going to get ahead of me kind of thing but at the same time I just spent two months of just grinding so I need to like take a step back and reflect and just decompress a little bit. So I think those two things, and I'm just always thinking about what's next or how can I be better and all that stuff. So I think I've always will have that kind of hunger. It's just as crazy as it sounds. I just think it's outside of basketball that I need to kind of better myself at. Interesting that you would share that as the areas of growth for you, considering most people think it's about the basketball, about the strategy, about the X and O's and you're pointing to basketball and coaching in general is a thousand percent about relationships. And that's the area I need to get better. So the ability to self-reflect and acknowledge that about yourself is probably going to pay dividends down the road in regards to your different stops and what you've been able to take with you from each spot and maybe offer up to your new landing spot. What are some of the best things that you've been exposed to that have had a transformational effect on the culture at 
X place that you're like, oh, that's really good. I'm going to steal that and use that later. Are there any of those that you can offer our listeners? Yeah, a lot of these are just going to be stuff that maybe regurgitated for some people that listen to coaching books or list podcasts and stuff like that. But for me, the number one thing is accountability. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's especially relevant at the pro level, at the college or high school level. Accountability for some coaches just, hey, you don't do this, just get on the line, I'm going to run you. Or, hey, you're just going to get kicked out of practice, stuff like that. But sometimes in pro basketball, you can't necessarily do that. The, the biggest determining factor of that is money. Right. <laughs> so if you take away players' money, then they'll start doing stuff correctly. But you have to lay a foundation. And I think accountability is number one thing everywhere that I've gone, especially in the G League. Even in the NBA, and I haven't had a full immersion. I've only dipped my toe in the water being at training camps, but I haven't spent a full season with an NBA team yet. But in terms of the G League and the WNBA too, just holding players accountable, making sure that they're doing the right thing. It's a different kind of accountable. It's not like yelling at them or cursing at like any of that. So not that say coaches do that anymore, but it's a different kind. It's just like talking, hey, just remind them, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. This is, mm-hmm. you got to cut here. You got to talk right in this ball screen. Uh, or even just, you got to show up on time, man. If you're trying to be a pro, like you got to show up on time. You reason with them only so many times, you give them one or two chances and then you got to start taking their money. And I guess that's like cutting away all the, the fat. Mm-hmm. The difference is, in the lower levels, maybe the college and high school level, coaches are wanting to nurture that player. They're wanting to continue to give them chances and continue to talk to them. And to a certain extent, that might work in the pro level. You might have a super talented player that you want to give chances and you know that he can figure it out or you think he can figure it out or she can figure it out. But at some point, once you start talking to them, once you start taking their money, they still can't figure out. And from the stops that I've been at, some coaches have had a hard time making that distinction, that line of where to cut. Sometimes they just go way beyond the line and they just let the player just ruin the culture, ruin the the whole atmosphere of the team. Mm -hmm. So I think accountability is number one thing. And then that accountability leads to that culture. And uh, culture is very important because if you have a strong culture, virtually any player can be acclimated into it. Versus Mm -hmm. if you have a poor culture, Just one little nick in the road, one little bump in the road, one little bad egg can just throw everything off kilter. To give you an example, like for the Seattle Storm, like we've had, it's such a great culture because obviously you have Sue Bird and Beyond Stewart, but they came from Gino Ariano. They have a culture from UConn. So in that locker room, it's so tight knit. They keep everything in house. They talk to each other, keep each other accountable that we might have a couple of wild cards, a couple of loose guns maybe, but they're able to reel them in and keep them focused on the end goal. So I think those two are big things in terms of whenever I get the chance to head coach somewhere that I'll be able to make sure I implement those things. But overall, honestly, what I've learned more than anything is a lot of this stuff doesn't even have to do with basketball. It's what you learn building a company, Mm. how you treat your employees, how you treat your players, how you build your relationships. Like I was saying, how you hold people accountable, like all those go so far. Dan Hughes always says, win the day-to-day, do the little things every single day, get in the gym early, get to the office early, whatever it is, do the extra work, do what you need to do, get everything done and focus on the details. And the wins will actually follow. If you focus on the right things, the wins will follow. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And I think to reiterate what you're saying is accountability and involving the players and the athletes in that accountability and making sure they're a part of it really 
supports the entire culture of that group. And as a professional organization, it is a business. So you're going to take that approach. And I love your analogy of when athletes are younger and people are younger, you're still nurturing them. And at some point at your level, you have to be a pro. And if you can't, then we need to move on uh, and find somebody that can be a mission appropriate fit for whatever your culture happens to be. In your journey and the different opportunities that you've had to observe people that aren't necessarily in your bubble. What have you learned by watching others? Uh, and, and it could be basketball specific, or it could be watching other sports. Anything you've taken away and been able to implement into your coaching? I think I've learned to not be emotional with anything in my life, to not be too high, too low. I think a lot of people text me on the bench, like, why aren't you happy? Like, why don't you show emotion? If you just watch me, I probably show more negative emotion than I do a positive emotion, which is probably something I need to work on. But I would say I just keep such an even keel or try to at least that kind of facade on the bench. And it, it is important to me because it translates to life because in this business, there's so many things that go wrong mm -hmm. and there can also be so many things that go right, but you can't ever think like the good thing is going to be, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. I'm never going to come down from this. You can't think like that. And the same thing, you can't think like this is the end of the world when something goes bad. So you have to be able to think clearly and make decisions without emotion. And I think that's what I've learned a lot, especially in the heat of a game. Sometimes you say things in the heat of a moment that you might regret to a player or to a staff member. You don't want to do that. Deep down, you're a good person. The other person's a good person. Like you shouldn't have to ruin a relationship because of emotion. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's one big thing that I have taken away from other people or have learned whether they do it or not. I think that also being patient with just everything that I do, just how patient with players and their development, patient with you know, maybe coworkers, patient with life things, just whatever comes at you. Because again, coming back to the career choice that I have, it's very volatile and there was a lot of no's and just because I might have a couple of championships under my belt, just because I'm able to work for the Pelicans or the Suns or whatever it is, or the storm, like it doesn't mean it was an easy route. There was a lot of no's. There's a lot of nights where it's like, God, it's another no. It's like, all right, should I be in this business? Should I do this? Should I start being an accountant again? There's definitely been those nights. All that to say, like all this was a pipe dream. And I think at the end of the day, it's just being grateful with what I have and what I've gotten so far and that none of this was ever even a reality three or four years ago. So unplanned question. You spend part of the year working in the WNBA, part of the year working in the G League. What would you say you've been able to directly translate from one game to the other? Because I think people often feel that the games are the same or they're vastly different when the reality is the answer is it depends. And I think I've often told my players as a high school coach, look, you're better served watching the WNBA because the game is more similar to the high school game than you watching the NBA. But what have you found that actually translates that is, is not dependent on level, not dependent on gender, but hey, this has been something I've been able to take from the WNBA and directly influence the lives of my G League guys and the same going back the other way. I would say that Offensively, if you took a male pro player, it's very hard to defend a G League player, even an NBA player, right? James Harden 
one-on-one iso at the top i don't care if you throw two people at him like he's the world's hardest player to stop mm-hmm. i would say that in the wma for female players they rely a lot on fundamentals they rely a lot on x's and o's because they have to mm-hmm. and there might be one or two players like maya moore for example or diana tarasi if you're rika gumbawali right now is that level where one-on-one those those three are hard to stop like female wise but for the vast majority, like not a lot of players can go one-on-one. Like if you stop them, they got to give up the ball. They can't, they don't have this extra gear or they don't have this extra speed. They can just blow by you. Russell Westbrook. He may not be able to shoot a jump shot, but he's going by you every single time right down the lane. So I think taking the X's and O's side of the women's uh, basketball and implementing into the male side. And by that, the type of flow, the type of continuity, that you would see, uh, especially just not to toot our own, own horn with the storm, but I think we run a very unique offense uh, in that we may run a set, but it we have these principles and we call it flow, an offensive flow. So we have these principles that we have uh, implemented over the course of a couple of the last three or four seasons before I, I even got there that the team has learned. So it's like a next action. It's not holding the ball and letting the defense set. It's What's my next action? What's the read? What is the alignment? What is the spacing on the floor? We've recognized it. All right, let's get to it. So being able to recognize that you can't hold the ball, you have to keep moving the ball. Once you create an advantage by either driving the ball in the paint or getting a ball screen to get in the paint or throwing in the post, getting the, like whatever it is, what advantage you create, you have to keep it. And I think you can do that. You can implement that more at the, the men's level or the NBA level, or even the G League level because a lot of times I know a lot of people that I, I've talked to they get turned off by the NBA because of ISO basketball you know they don't like ISO basketball and that's why the Warriors were so fun to watch and are so fun to watch because they move the ball they have some of the similar principles where it's keep flowing keep screening away you know weak side don't stop moving don't stay stagnant kind of thing you're right that I do think more younger players especially not that very athletic players you should be looking to be more cerebral you should be looking to study the game or you should be seeing where can i implement what they're doing right now in that game how can i implement in my game and it's not about the crossover it's not about the three point it's about literally if i'm right here am i in the corner what's my next read if i'm on the baseline and somebody's driving towards me how should i move how do i move to an open area those little things that i think get lost and with the times of social media and where people just want to see the flashy stuff but the WNBA has a lot of that and if people just sit down just to enjoy the beauty of that i think it would go a long way no i agree i often find myself watching WNBA games for an extended period of time versus just tuning into the NBA for a couple minutes here and there, just because of the, the strategy and the beauty of the flow and the things that are different about the game. And it's been something that I would say I've done more of in the last 10 years than I did in the first half of my career. So I think it's interesting that you're getting to see both of those and apply those principles in action, which is really awesome. If you were starting over on your journey today, what would you do differently? And if not differently, because I think your journey has probably informed who you are and what opportunities have come, but what advice would you have for your younger self? Probably get out more and be more social. Like I know I had to make a lot of sacrifices when I was younger. Not that I say I'm old, but <laughs> I feel old now. But when I was younger, even graduating college, or even when I was in college, making a lot of sacrifices that I thought I was necessary, but in retrospect, I could have probably accomplished more without 
sacrificing that. Like I still could have sacrificed and still met that person or gone out for drinks with this person kind of thing. And the thing about this is I've learned is life in general is not even necessarily about relationships in basketball. It's relationships just in life because you never know what it's going to transpire later in life. I think just like a tangent and not to get totally off topic, but we had Ramon Sessions, who is a and for any of the listeners, he used to play in the NBA, played for, I think, 10 years. But he's now like a director of player programs or something like that with the Pelicans. And so he came and talked to our players and talked to us as a staff. And his story basically was that when he was still young in the league, he got sent down to the then called D-League. And so he was playing for some random team. I think it was in Tulsa. And the owner at that time was was very gung-ho like he loved basketball he loved to be around the players but he also loved to do charity events and loved to do just random events just for the community and Ramon he's super professional guy he would actually volunteer for those things all the time and he'd always be the first one there kind of thing so he just developed this relationship with the owner lo and behold I think a year later that guy ends up being a majority owner of the Bucks and they're looking for a backup point guard and Ramon Sessions comes up and the name comes up and he ends up, whether you want to say he got overpaid or not, he got paid. Mm-hmm. And that's just based off being a good person, had nothing to do with basketball, just mm-hmm. saying, Hey, I'm going to do charity events. I'm going to go play with these kids. I'm going to go handshake with your donors and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that for me, I've learned to be better at and just to be more gracious with the life that I've stumbled upon and that I do need to be more aware of, the people that I interact with and I need to be more open to stopping and talking with certain people. And it's not like I'm a jerk or something like that. It's just sometimes you're caught in your own bubble, you're caught in your own world and 24 seven, you're, when you're awake and you're just thinking about all these other things, but you're not thinking about that person next to you or that person that just said hi to you. It's crazy to think, and people will probably have me on basketball podcasts and I'll end up not talking about basketball. I know I need to be better at those aspects and just going back to myself and just saying, Hey, just build those relationships, whatever it is, build those relationships. Cause honestly, a lot of the jobs I've had so far is because of relationships and maybe the no's that I had before, maybe they could have been yeses because I had a prior relationship that I should have built, you know, a stronger foundation on beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last thing would just be patience again, just being patient with where I'm at, what I'm doing. Cause even though I didn't really have an end goal, I always was wondering about what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the, I guess not end all be all, but what is this leading towards? Why am I doing all this hard work? There's gotta be a reason why I'm doing all this. And I think that just being patient with just my progress and how I learn. Everybody learns at their own pace. Everybody progresses at their own pace. And I just needed to be more patient with myself in terms of realizing one, I didn't have a great network. Two, I came from a very small, as you well know, 831 is not a basketball hotbed. You probably know, I don't know if you were around the area. Most people will tell you that I came out of nowhere kind of thing, where it's not that many people knew about me. Not many people know about me right now. Like Whenever people see the John Divine tweet, I get random texts. Hey, I just saw you. That's so awesome. It's like, I'm the guy that's surprised people. I don't come out and say like, I have, I have the underdog mentality or anything like that. And I don't say like, I have haters or anything like that. Like I just have been overlooked. That's all it is. Like I just worked and stayed in the shadows and I've never looked for the glory and never looked for the spotlight. And for me, pursuing basketball, pursuing coaching, so I think my sister told me it fills my soul, I guess, if you want to be like that. It fills right. my soul. Yeah, just being patient with the journey and just realizing that 
everything, it comes with time and I just can't rush the process. Yeah. There's so many cliches that fit that, right? It's you figured out what you love to do and how to get paid doing it. It's the dream and the patience with the process and, and being where your feet are and making sure you do a great job at the job you have versus the, the opposite, which is how do I get the next job? And I think it's a sweet spot, right? Like how do you crush what you're doing, but keep your eyes open and make sure that you're not seeing things go by you. And I love that you continue to come back to relationships because that's the advice piece, right? Like how do you have authentic relationships with people that aren't transactional. They're real. That may benefit you in the future. They may not. Continuing to develop those is what leads to opportunities to both help kids, help adults, do your job well. And it's what allows me to do this, right? Is the relationships that I have with people. So I love that advice. Thank you for sharing that and being here with us today. And welcome back to the 831 while you get some time off due to COVID. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a little weird coming back to society. You get forget to put the mask on sometimes and oh yep forgot there's a pandemic going on so yeah but yeah it's great to be back awesome all right i'll see you soon thanks for being here appreciate it this podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com as coaches our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done one thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.